For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome to another edition of Talking Ball. I'm Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pleased to be joined by fellow Lifetime Longhorn CJ Vogel. What's going on, CJ? How you doing, brother? Hey, happy Monday. Uh, college football never stops. I'm ready for it. Another day. Yeah, no doubt. It feels like, I guess when your team is good, it never stops. Uh, maybe you want to break from it if your team isn't very good. Uh, but the Longhorns, uh, damn good. So we're talking a lot of uh, Texas football, of course. Uh, there is a new defensive analyst uh, name that has been uh, hired. we got to talk about that. Also, I don't know how it keeps coming up. There's another horns down controversy don't know how it happened. I want to get CJ's thoughts about it, too. He had a hot take about it. We'll get into it. Uh, we'll also talk about the Super Bowl because, obviously, there are some Texas ties to the Super Bowl. Kyle Shanahan, lifetime Longhorn, a good friend of mine. He is a head coach for these uh, 49ers, which are back in the Super Bowl versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Also, some Texas ties there. To my man, Charles Amin, who used to play for the 49ers, also now plays for the Chiefs. He had a strip sack above uh, Lamar Jackson in the AFC title game. So, some Longhorn ties there. So we'll discuss maybe some lessons learned from the uh, Super Bowl teams, some of the things that uh, they execute really well that maybe the Longhorns can take some notes from. We'll talk about that, some of the trends that have led to this Super Bowl matchup and maybe how they could have some uh, some outside effect or maybe some tie connection to the Longhorns. So we'll get into that and dive a little bit deeper into it. Uh, so we got a lot to talk about. We don't have a lot of time to do it. So before we get started, let's not waste any time. Let's thank our very uh, special sponsor. It is uh, John Donovan, president of Longhorn Wealth Management Group. Um, he is a proud Texas Exes Life member and his wife and all six of John's siblings, also UT grads. So we're talking about lifetime Longhorns, and they are proud of it. This deep Longhorn family tradition led John to dedicate his firm to providing total wealth management for Texas alumni, employees, family, and friends. John is a certified financial planner who has spent over 30 years, folks, three decades providing investment, retirement, insurance, and estate planning services and solutions to all of his clients. The Longhorn Wealth team fired up about how good the Texas football team was last year and everybody's fired up about how good they're going to be in 2024 especially uh in the sec and we know that uh, all the talk about the transfer portal and high school recruiting so likewise uh john donovan and his longhorn well team want to encourage everyone on the on texas football family to let longhorn well jumpstart your 2024 with a financial future with a free 90-minute consultation to explore how longhorn wealth can help you develop maximize and protect your tax fee and tax efficient retirement income. So please give John Donovan and his Longhorn Wealth team a call at 972-707-4900 or visit longhornwealth.net. That's 972-707-4900 or visit longhornwealth.net. All right, before we uh, get started here, I want the first thing I want to talk about is the latest addition uh, to the Longhorn support staff. Brandon, I hope I get his name correct. I'm not sure if you know how to pronounce it better than I do. Is it, is it Hubert or Huppert? I'm I've not sure. But I could okay. be well, I, I could be off. You think is, is it Hubert? I, that's what I've been saying. Okay. No, I, I want to make sure. Okay, we don't want to disrespect the man. He, he's he's gonna be he's gonna be helping us out. So he's uh he's coming from actually Oregon State. 
if I'm not mistaken, spent one season there at Oregon State, uh, has has got a history back with PK, played under PK, even at Boise State, if I'm not mistaken, that's the D-line when PK was the D-line coach there uh, and also was a um, was a grad assistant uh, at Washington under PK when he and Chris Peterson hooked up at Washington. Um, what are your thoughts about him coming in as a defensive analyst? Um, I believe at one point also he was a, a director of player development. Uh, at Washington, too, had risen through the ranks. Texas bringing on two defensive minds as analysts. Uh, last year, they almost had a perfect kind of synergy, if you will. Joe D. Camillus, who took a job with South Carolina as the special teams coach there, uh, between Joe D. Camillus, Paul Christ, uh, you know, in last season, and Payam Sadat, you had a defensive guy, special teams guy, and an offensive guy. This time, two defensive guys. I'm sure you can bring in other analysts too, but what are your thoughts about uh, Texas bringing in another guy with ties, not only to the defensive line, that's where he played, and I believe he coached there a little bit as an assistant line coach, but also a guy with ties to PK on the defensive side of the ball. Well, first off, I love the fact that he has ties to PK. You know, I think anytime you can get guys in the system who have been familiar with the system, it only helps expedite some of the, the processes and teachings that go into uh, the week-to-week preparation. I look at it in a sense of, you know, the PK's defense has evolved over time. But I think at times you can go back and and almost be a, a refresher of getting him back into campus uh, with Coach PK and saying, hey, you know, remember back in 2014, we were doing this a little bit differently and it worked. You know, maybe we should go back to that. You know, there's, there's little things that I think you can revisit in the sense of you would be echoing, you know, old tendencies and, and schemes with – you know, uh, PK and, and, and his staff. So I'm with it at Oregon state specifically. I thought that their defense had been the staple of their team over the last couple of years. Uh, Corvallis is not an easy place to play. And they really adopted that kind of motto. You know, whenever you go up to play at Oregon state, that defense is going to be the one that's really leading the way. I know they had DJU there. Obviously Silas Bolden was the one that made it, making all the plays on the offensive side of the ball. But in the grand scheme of what their team brought to the table, it was a hard, hard nosed defense that was, uh, very uh, sound schematically. They didn't bust coverages very often, and they were going to make you work to get down the field. Uh, they had a couple guys drafted last year. I had a defensive back drafted uh, in the sixth round, I believe. Uh, they have a, a couple more expected to be hearing their names called this uh, this upcoming uh, April. So I liked what they've been doing on the defensive side of the ball. And if you can poach a guy who's kind of leached onto some other staffs and done well on the field – and still coming back to PK where he has experience and time with him in the, in the past, it feels like a, a very strong hire here. Uh, yeah, no, I, after his uh, stint with PK and Chris Peterson in Washington and from 2013, 2017 as a quality control coach on the defense side of the ball, he was hired by Dan Hawkins um, to coach the defense line at UC Davis. Um, and that, that group actually ended up having a program record 37 sacks that season, uh, to your point about him being a part of some defensive staff that had some success. And then he went on to Washington to be the director of player development and later on at Oregon State to be uh, there as well as the director of player development. So, But on the defensive side of the ball, on the D-line, you're right, uh, maybe he's a guy that can help you kind of streamline uh, some of the growing pains with some of the younger players also having played in that system and also been a quality control coach in that same system. So Texas beefing up the support staff. Uh, that's one of the stories that I wanted to get into. Another one is the uh, the draft. I know we're a long way away from it, so we got plenty of time to break down the draft. And I promise you we will from every different angle because I'm kind of a mock slut. I love mock drafts. I, I don't look at any mock draft. You got a mock draft. I don't care what your name is. I don't care if you got an egg. It's your avatar. 
on Twitter. I'll probably check out your mock draft. That's just who I am. I'm all about the mock drafts. And but I, there are some who are more respected than others. Dane Brugler is among the most respected of the mock drafters, draft analysis, uh, draft analysts out there. And he does great work. And um, I, I was wondering, I've been talking to a friend of mine about who's going to be the first Longhorn drafted. And it seems like a lot of the mocks had A.D. Mitchell as the first Longhorn drafted. And I, I can totally understand that because there's going to be a run on wide receivers. I believe Mel Kuyper has, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he has seven wide receivers going total in the first round. Um, he's got three of them, I believe, going in the top ten. Yeah. <laughs> like he's got a let Yes, between Marvin Harrison Jr. and Malik Neighbors, I mean, and Romo Dunze. I mean, he's got, I believe it's three in his top. If it's not 10, it's in his top 11 or 12. But he's got seven in the first round. And I believe A.D. Mitchell was the last of the uh, wide receivers uh, that he had in his mock draft, or one of the last wide receivers he had in his mock draft. Uh, but Dane Brugler believes that another Longhorn might be drafted first. He's got a little man crush on Byron Murphy. And he tweeted this out uh, earlier this week. Seeing Texas D-tackle Byron Murphy appear in the top 20 of more and more mock drafts. No surprise there. Unfortunately, no Murphy this week at the senior bowl. He's resting a minor late season injury. will be good for the combine. What are your thoughts, CJ? I know you pay attention to a lot of you know mock drafts, and I know you do some uh, draft analysis yourself. Who's going to be the first Longhorn drafted? It seems like right now it's a it's a two kind of a it's a two player uh, race here between either Ad Mitchell or Byron Murphy. But going in the top twenty is probably as high as I've seen any Longhorn uh, be projected to be drafted in the next upcoming draft. I mean, it's exciting that we're in this conversation to have which guy go first round. You know, who's going to go first in the first round? That's exciting. Now, signs of a healthy program of, as we've talked mm-hmm. about. I've talked about this on Twitter a little bit. I had Byron Murphy as the first Longhorn off the board, followed by A.D. Uh, AD Mitchell and then Xavier Worthy right after. So I'm looking at it in a sense that I think the wide receiving talent that Texas is producing is going to go before what we'll see with uh, a Tavondre Sweat even. So Byron Murphy is my number one guy, and I've all of a sudden started thinking about it a little differently. Travis Kelsey retires. Chiefs are picking at 31 or 32. Could they go get the next tight end for that system with Jatavian Sanders? He might jump into that conversation as well. But I think by 31 or 32, you're going to be looking at Byron Murphy, about 20 picks, uh, uh, about 15, maybe 20 picks, already having heard his name called and very happy, you know, going in the top 15. So I have Byron Murphy, number one, and then A.D. Mitchell. I think some team is going to take a a, a reach for him in that, that back end of that that first round, you look at Baltimore, they could use a big body wide receiver. Uh, certainly, I, I think adding him to a team you know, in that, that range would help give a solidified number two potential to have a ceiling of a, a wide receiver number one. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. But Byron Murphy, to me, is probably that top guy. I think, and, and I think that margin's growing by a good bit. Had he been at the Senior Bowl, I think it would have been a no-brainer. De- a no like he would absolutely have been the top Longhorn take in this draft. Yeah, no, it's uh, it seems to be it is trending that way. And yeah, I'm looking at Mel Kuyper's latest mock draft. He, obviously, he, he keeps updating these things like every month or so um, or every two weeks or so. But in his latest mock draft, seven wide receivers taken in the first round. A.D. Mitchell, the sixth wide receiver 
He's got him taking 28th overall to the Buffalo Bills, who also mm. are probably going to end up needing a wide receiver. Yep, and uh, yeah, he's got, but this is unfortunate it, for it, it, AD, being drafted in the first round is never unfortunate, but he would, he has AD Mitchell being drafted one pick ahead of, which ain't going to happen here. This, this mock was before the championship game, but he had him going before, uh, ahead of Troy Franklin Jr. And Troy Franklin Jr. was going to the Chiefs. So he's got the Chiefs picking a wide receiver. Kind of what your thoughts? The Chiefs will pick offense, it seems, early on. Are they going to pick Travis Kelsey's replacement? Are they going to uh, try to pick a wide receiver, which they need one desperately? Man, if you're A.D. Mitchell, you pray that you drop down to wherever the Kansas City Chiefs are picking because that's where they're projecting him to be drafted, right around that area where the Chiefs are going to be picking. That would be magnificent. Or you could have my man X-Man be a guy drafted early in the second round. I oh, yeah. will say this. I heard Mel Kuyper on NFL Live, and they asked Mel Kuyper, you know, what are the mo- who are the most underrated wide receivers in this draft? Because I've always said wide receivers the deepest position in football at any level. Uh, and every year in the draft, they'll say wide receiver is the deepest position in this draft. That's just because it's the deepest position at, in football, period. Yeah. And they asked Mel Kuyper, hey, who's the, who are the underrated receivers in this draft? Who are going to be the great value pickups later on? And he said the Texas wide receivers. He straight up said the Texas guys. I like them. And he talked about X-Man, and he talked about A.D. Mitchell. So uh, it looks like Texas, A.D. Mitchell, or X-Men end up going to a a really, really good spot, meaning a good system, good offense, potentially even with a good quarterback already. Uh, But, yeah, there you go. So Byron Murphy right now, and I got to say, I think it's just if Byron Murphy and you you and Dane Brugler seem to be on the same page, um, if he's not taken uh, as the first Longhorn drafted, Dane Brugler's going to lose it. He's going to have a Twitter Temper tantrum. Just a couple of uh, tweets about Dane Brooklyn, the man crush he has on Byron Murphy. This is what he tweeted in December about Byron Murphy. He said, a few years from now, it won't be surprising when D-tackle Byron Murphy is the best pro from this Texas defense. Initial quickness, vertical push, body flexibility. He also tweeted out earlier this month, Byron Murphy with number 16 overall in my mock, and I think he'll be somewhere in the mid-first range no D tackle was more consistently disruptive on film this season versus both the pass and the run than Murphy. Love his quickness and handwork. I mean, he's 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 pretty much got him close to being the first D tackle off the board. Yeah, if not right. I mean, if you're going to be drafted 16, uh, the way because this draft is all about quarterbacks, wide receivers, receivers and, yeah. right? And there's some tackles thrown in there. Uh, he might have the first D tackle taken off the board, and obviously one of the first defenders taking off the board that would be huge for texas that would be huge um all right uh moving on here let's move on to another topic uh because i want to make sure that we get to as many uh topics here as we can here in talking ball uh the first topic i want to get to here is about the i hate to bring it up about the horns down it's back it came it reared its ugly head again we know rodney terry had to deal with the blowback because he tried to discipline another coach's team when they did the horns down in the handshake line after they lost to central Florida. And then Roddy Terry did the classy thing. He apologized, moved on, and they ended up going on a winning streak as a result. Well, they lost to BYU over the weekend and a horns down controversy came up again. This time BYU fans uh, spelled out horns down on t-shirts. All right. And there was an individual letter on every shirt. And they, at one point were asked to remove the shirts. And at one point, Twitter believed that they were asked to remove the shirts because of a request from the Longhorn administration or from the coaches or something like that, which would have been crazy. 
Uh, yeah. Turns out that wasn't the case. Their head coach specified in the post game that you talked about this, CJ. I'm sure you got some better insights. I know you will follow Texas basketball closely. That it was actually BYU. They felt like it was something that was unbecoming of their fan base. They felt like they should have been. It was a a, a move that was not a classy move, and they thought that you know they didn't want to put that out there um, as something that would go viral and potentially paint their fans in a bad light. Uh, so, but, but the Longhorns got, I think, most of the negative attention about it because people thought that that was something the Longhorns had requested and demanded. It was not. Turns out that was BYU acting on their own accord. Uh, another another Horns Down controversy. Uh, it, what are your thoughts, CJ? Give it to me real quick. Give it to me. I hate it, man. I mean, I, I hate that this is a story. I hate that we're sitting here talking about it because it's it's college sports. You know, these kids are 19, 20. They've, they, they've been up. They're excited to see their top 25 team play one of the bigger teams that they have on their schedule at home. Like, they're excited for this. This is what you want if you're an athletics department. You want your fans to come out to show up to the big games, and you want them to be excited that your team is performing well on the field and obviously to, to be a, a disruptive, rowdy bunch. Yep. To make it a, a difficult place to play. Like that's the ultimate goal. Why take away the fun? You know, that that that's part of it. I'm all for trash talk. I'm all for competitive, you know, uh, taunting in a way. Like I love that. I love, you know, when, when DBs stand up after a big play and they do the strap or they, they let people know that's an incomplete pass. Like, yeah, you, you made a great play. Celebrate that. I love in the sense that when you play big rivals, there's added emotion. There's added passion. Yeah. You know, th th that game should mean something more to you because Texas is walking through the door. Texas should be, you know, as at, at its height of emotion anytime they play Oklahoma or Texas A&M. Those games mean something more. There's an extra history and, and, and really track record of playing one another because those games mean something. Those rivalries are, are so outstanding that that's what helps make college sports so out, uh, outstanding. And that, like, that's, I think it's so silly. Like, where does the line then become? When you play mm -hmm. Oklahoma, can you not say that OU sucks whenever you – like, like what's going on? Like, yep. you, you you have in your, your fight song, Goodbye to A&M. Like, that, all about it is, is in a way, kind of a, a little playful slap at of opposing rivals. This is so silly. And Texas did get a, a little bit of the bad rep because they didn't request for this to – to be the case, you know, they, they, I, by all accounts, I didn't see anything on Texas's Twitter or anything that said, Hey, Texas wasn't happy with this credit to BYU, I guess, for taking the initiative to take it down, but who cares? Like that's, exactly. I think it's awesome. You know, yeah. it's, it's part of the game and I'm all for it. I want more of it. I agree. I don't know. I don't see BYU's in the wrong here too. They shouldn't have forced those young student students to take down or take off their shirts or whatever they were doing. They should have been able to do it, as long as it wasn't offensive, as long as it wasn't something that – horns down. Like, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't an expletive. It wasn't a slur or anything like that. Yeah. It was horns down. That's how it's being treated as. It's crazy. Like it, Yeah. I can't believe BYU did that. That's a, honestly, BYU is BYU's fault because it, they're the ones who obviously were a little overly sensitive about the horns down – I don't know why they would be. That made yeah. no sense at all. Yeah, um, I, I started, I started daydreaming a little bit. I was like, you know how schools can really get at Texas is they start planning this a little bit just to come out and remove it and make Texas again look like they were the ones that complain and <laughs> ask to get it taken down. That's how you say goodbye to them as they leave the conference. Make it a bigger deal in the sense of where it was set up in a way, like an inside job. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. Because when I first looked on Twitter and saw it, I was like, oh man, please tell me that's not that's not happening. 
please tell me that we didn't just have two back-to-back horns down controversies that all but that both seem silly. And turns out no, Texas lost the basketball game, but against uh, newcomers did. in the conference, too. It's crazy. Like these aren't even teams that have history with Texas. No, it is. I it it, it does seem like maybe it was. I, I don't know. It seemed like there was a, a hatchet job that there was somebody out to kind of paint Texas in a bad light the way it all went down. I don't know where it came from that Texas requested that they take the shirts off, but that was the narrative on social media. That narrative, as we just pointed out, a false narrative. But I always say this, so we'll move on. I know people don't want to talk about the horns down for very long, um, is that it is the greatest form of free media in college sports. I mean, it's everybody knows what it means. Everybody knows they're talking about the Longhorns. And I think most Longhorn fans understand that. They understand that it's just free free publicity, free media for the brand, and overall, it's good. And as long as you're winning, it's it makes the opposing team and the opposing fan base look silly. But when Texas is losing, I think that's when it hurts. It hurts when you're actually losing because I think that's when it 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 hits it hits home. <laughs> Because the you, you're you're literally down. You just lost the game or whatever it is. Like I said, I've never experienced the horns down when we won the game. They usually only do it. I, I spe- except for OU. I'll admit, OU they don't they'll do it whether they lose or win. They don't care. Uh, okay, this is the uh, the final topic here. I want to talk about lessons that could be learned from the Super Bowl matchup. I, and I think the, obviously there are ties. Texas uh, lifetime Longhorn Cal Shanahan coaching. The 49ers, you got Charles Amita, who who is uh, playing for the Kansas City Chiefs, also played for the 49ers at one point. But I always look at these the formulas, right, the football formulas of these teams and almost what can uh, what can be extrapolated, you know, what you can learn philosoph- uh, in terms of philosophically how these teams execute and what they do really well. And one thing I think, and I'm just looking at these 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 teams specifically, I'm looking at the 49ers right now. Just kind of looking at different things that they do well, uh, that Sark can kind of take some of his philosophy to the next level, evolve it. Red zone was a huge issue for Sark this year. I mean, red zone offense, touchdown percentage in the red zone. Texas remained one of the worst uh, in the country. They're around 120th in touchdown percentage of red zone, which is amazing considering how prolific and explosive the offense was. They never really figured it out. Uh, came back to Hanum, of course, in the last game in the Sugar Bowl. San Fran actually leads the NFL in touchdown percentage in the red zone. Uh, they finished the season at 67% touchdown percentage in the red zone, followed by Detroit, actually. Mm, there you go. <laughs> it, it matters. It's money time. It matters going down there. Um, I think Miami was third. Uh, Miami actually, last three games, they were 75% touchdown percentage in the red zone. My point is, I know Sark does a lot of great – uh, rabbit holing in the offseason. He admits he steals concepts and he loves to, uh, you know, watch some of the best offenses and try his best to uh, pair up concepts um, that will match up in his offense. And he loves that Shanahan coaching tree. If he wants to improve the red zone offense, the Shanahan coaching tree is a great place to start. San Fran and Miami. They're the, those are two of the three best red zone offenses. Hell, in Detroit too. Might as well, you can go there too. Detroit. Those that's where you start. San Fran, Detroit, Miami. Yeah. I, I love that. That my biggest my biggest takeaway along with the red zone there is having watched that those two games yesterday and started sitting there thinking, you know, what's what's the deal with this Ravens offense? You know, this hmm. was a team who ran the ball as well as anybody in the league this entire season, 
they only had six rushing attempts to running backs the entire day in a game in which it was raining sideways for a mm-hmm. little bit in the second half. Like, yeah, why why did they abandon what had basically brought them to this far in the playoffs? The running game that was the biggest staple of it. You thought Gus Edwards and 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 Justice Hill and this whole you know group of running backs was going to be ultimately what helped Lamar Jackson become such a, a dual threat. You know, with the run game, the read option. Mm-hmm. Completely abandoned. I know Texas fans would have liked to see a little bit more running in the Washington game because it felt like anytime they put the ground, the ball on the ground, there was success there. Well, Gus Edwards had had three carries yesterday for twenty yards. That's a pretty good, you know, six point seven yard per carry average. <laughs> you you go back to what helped be, you know, a big staple mm-hmm. of your complementary approach offensively, and then you take it all away. Yeah. I I think sticking with what got you there in the big games is a big component in something else that you can take away from having watched that game as well. Dance with what brung you, right? Absolutely. uh, Late great DK, I used to say, no, I'm glad you brought that up because we kind of ended on this note because I can go to to the AFC side of things and something that I recognize that I think Texas, I mean, PK can even learn lessons from. Um, And I saw this little note. If you go look at the personnel groupings on defense that Kansas City ran, um, according to uh, Ben Arlovsky, they were in six different personnel groupings on defense. Uh, you saw them in their base. They ran a 3-3-5. They ran a 4-2-5. They ran a 4-1-6. Uh, they, I mean, they, they threw a ton out, out there at Lamar Jackson just to force him to, to try to process things. And getting back to your point, if they'd have run the football, fewer, they could have dictated – the I think dictated more of the game and dictated the tempo of the game, but they didn't run the football and they put it in Lamar's hands, which he's the MVP. But that's when all of those exotic looks, all those creative looks for Spagnola, that's when they play a huge role. You're just running the football, you almost force the defense to have to play you a certain way. It's like, nah, they got I gotta play me base. They run the football down yeah. our throat. But when you abandon the run on your own, you almost did them a favor. Yeah, and they just absolutely. Came in, and, I mean, that's and how the Rodgers beat the Cowboys. Yeah, and they, they, they're sick. They, I think they have the sixth highest blitz rate uh, Spagnola does in all of the NFL. So why wouldn't you just run the football against a blitz-heavy team? But I think the lesson that we learned from PK is PK is not very diverse. They, there's not a lot of diversity defensively. I do think they want to get into more multiplicity defensively, whether it be the skill sets of players, which we know Sark's buzzword has been versatility, but also the defense overall. And I've talked about it. They want to be more malleable defensively, and that comes with – having defenders um, that can be more versatile. And I think that would be the lesson to be learned because you're right that the Ravens, that was probably the biggest standout stat or nugget is that they had running backs had six rushes. The running back did. They don't even know how (laughs) that is great. That makes no sense at all. Like that is, that's wild. That's crazy. I couldn't Um, believe it. Yeah, I'm with you on that. That's a lesson to be learned, ladies and gentlemen, from, from championship uh, weekend. Uh, all right, before we get out of here, let's say uh, thank you to our sponsor once again. We appreciate John Donovan and the Longhorn Wealth team. John Donovan is a lifetime Longhorn, president of Longhorn Wealth Management Group. John is a proud lifetime Longhorn, Texas Exes Life member, and his wife and all six of his siblings are also UT grads. So it is a deep Longhorn tradition uh, that gives them a lot of pride and has given them inspiration to dedicate uh, himself and his firm to providing total wealth management for Texas alumni. 
alumni, employees, family, and friends. John is a certified financial planner who has spent over three decades, 30 years, folks, providing investment, retirement, insurance, and estate planning services and solutions to all of his clients. The Longhorn World team is fired up about Coach Sark's incredible start to the 2024 season with all these new additions to the transfer portal and through recruiting. And so they likewise want to encourage everyone in the On Texas football family to let Longhorn Wealth jumpstart your 2024 financial future with a free 90-minute consultation to explore how Longhorn Wealth can help you develop, maximize, and protect your tax-fee and tax-efficient retirement income. Please give them a call today. John Donovan and his Longhorn Wealth team are waiting for your call. 972-707-4900. That's 972-707-4900 or visit longhornwealth.net. All right, CJ, once again, thank you for the time, brother, and thank you for the knowledge. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Had a blast talking ball. And no doubt. Until next time, folks, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, and until next time, as always, hook them.